what manner of spirit are you? Shalom! Thank you for joining us for this sermon from June 26, 2022 from Christchurch, Jerusalem. Deacon Aaron Imey reminds us that as part of our calling to follow the Lord, Jesus challenges us to check the fruit of our spirit in our everyday life. Deacon Aaron Arnold starts us off with a word of prayer. The Lord has not failed us, and he will not start now. Amen. It also says that his word endures forever. And as I mentioned earlier, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So we will pray and then we will hear from God. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who reigns and lives with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please hear the word of the Lord. The first reading is taken from the book of 2 Kings, chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, and 6 to 14. And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please. For the Lord has sent me, for the Lord has sent me unto Bethel. But Elisha, but Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Verse six. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, please. For the Lord had sent me unto the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on, and fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance. While the two of them stood by the Jordan, now Elisha, Elisha took his mantle, rolled it up, and stroked the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, 
If you see me when I am taking from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horse of fire, and separated the two of them. And Elisha went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it, and he and he cried out, "My father, my father!" The chariot of Israel and his horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah, and had fallen from him, and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah, and had fallen from him. And struck the water and said, "Where is the Lord God of Elijah?" And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from the book of Galatians, chapter five, and verses one. And thirteen to twenty-five. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this: You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you can, lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these things, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries. And the like of which I told you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel reading is taken from Luke chapter nine, verses fifty-one to sixty-two. 
Please stand with me for the reading of the gospel, for we are indeed in the presence of a king. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for Jesus to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plough and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated, friends. Now, I know David told us to make sure we turn our phones off, but I'm going to use mine for, for timekeeping. That's for your protection. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we turn to your scriptures, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, speak, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, friends, we are at a day called the third Sunday after the Pentecost. We're in a season for those that might not know of a church calendar called Ordinary Time. And uh, it's actually one of the longest seasons in the church year, which tends to operate between Easter and Christmas. There's a few other things in the middle, of course. And um, Ordinary Time doesn't mean plain or ordinary. It actually gets the word after ordinal 
that is counting. The Jewish people like to count, is where we get the, the idea of counting the Omars, where we get their calendar from. Our calendar is uh, it's very Jewish in its, in its essence. And so we count, because no one else can think of what else to call the Sunday. So it's the third Sunday after Pentecost, and the fourth Sunday after Pentecost. It's just a counting time. But we will keep doing that counting until Advent. And during this season, we're going to be studying and wrestling with the Gospel of Luke. So we've got all this time to dwell on the teachings of Jesus uh, and his message and ministry and commands to us as his disciples. So in context of today's passage, in our ordinary time, comes after the transfiguration. Jesus has had his mountaintop experience. And now the text says that he has set his face towards Jerusalem. He's going to go to the city of God. Of course, he has been here before. This is not his first time. He's been into Jerusalem many times as a child with his disciples. He has pronounced that he is the light of the world at the Festival of Lights. He's uh, often told people, come to me and all who thirst, because I have living water. He's preached, he's teached, and he's challenged the church leadership. Sorry, temple leadership. That was a Freudian slip. But he hasn't been to Jerusalem like this before. Because at the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah, in the Gospel of Luke, deliberately says that they talked about his exodus. Or in English, they talked about his departure. So he knew what he was going to do. Which, of course, then begs the question, when did he know? Was it, was it after the discussion with Elijah and Moses? Or did he always know? Before the foundation of the world, yeah, Albert, he knew. He knew. But now he has to walk that out. And sometimes even when you know what's coming, we sometimes we have to walk it out. We walk it out with strength, with courage. And hopefully, brothers and sisters, not alone. We have the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's much nicer to walk it together. And so, as Jesus turns his face resolutely towards the city, it says he sends messengers out. And I really like the way the Greek reads, because they apostolize some angels. Because apostle means a sent one. So whenever you see the word sent in English, it's apostle. They apostled some people. And who they apostle? Messengers, angels. And angels, yes, we actually share a duty. Same with the guys in heaven, same with us here on earth. Messengers. We are the angels of the Lord. And they had to go to this Samaritan village, which they have kind of been in these areas before. And this time they had to prepare some lodging. They were going to stay, prepare some food. Guess who's coming? Oh, who's coming? The Messiah's coming. But the Samaritans give some opposition. Well, why would they do such a thing? Who are the Samaritans? I hear you ask lots of questions coming up. 
Well, the Samaritans are a group of people that have been brought in by a foreign power a long time ago, and they have embraced a, uh, the faith of a fashion. They have a Bible, very similar to the Torah. They have priests, and they have a temple. It just happens to sit on a different mountain. So their theology is a little skewed to one side. And there's been some tension between the Jewish people and the Samaritans through history, leading up to, to Jesus. Wars have been fought between the Maccabees and the Samaritans, and the beautiful temple that once stood on Mount Gerizim was destroyed and burnt. And uh, Jesus has already said to a Samaritan lady, actually, look, we worship what we know. You don't. But eventually, we'll all worship the Lord. And they're also waiting for a Messiah, but a different type of Messiah. Definitely one who was going to restore Samaritan nationalism. And, and he was not going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to go to Mount Gerizim, of course. So, so they don't, they don't uh, receive Jesus because he was set to go to Jerusalem. And the indignant disciples, they have a reaction. And their reaction is, let's call down fire, just like Elijah did which is a story we see in uh, the beginning of Kings, 2 Kings, where uh, uh, after the death of Ahab, a new king sends uh, some emissaries to go and talk to this, this uh, rebellious prophet. And every time that they send a commander with armies, uh, 50 men, Elijah burns them up. And uh, they go, well, we can do that too. Their reaction to opposition and to unbelief is violence. And we often are like that ourselves. Truth be told. Someone doesn't agree with us. Someone has a different tradition, different way of reading the Bible, different politics. Lord, smite them, almighty smiter, if you don't mind. Or I'll do it for you if you're busy. <laughs> I, can, I can help. I've done some martial arts. Yeah, their reaction was a little bit violent. And Jesus, Jesus will get angry. It's not that he doesn't, but who does he get angry with? His own people, the household of faith. He'll go to the temple, he'll challenge it. This is not right. I'm going to go get my bullwhip and I'm going to start turning over tables, curse fig trees. He'll uh, challenge the, the Pharisees. You're whitewashed tombs. Yay. He, he can be challenging too, but it's to the, the household of faith. Where should our first response always be? What does Paul say? Be generous. First to who? Household of faith. That's not to say we shouldn't bless and uh, support non-Christian ministries. But make sure you're not at the expense of Christian ministries. And same with our criticism. Let's not turn to the pagan world and say, ah, you bunch of pagans. It's terrible what you're doing. You really should do something else. In fact, smite the almighty smiter. Actually, we should look at ourselves and say, hey, perhaps we're not quite walking the way we should. 
to encourage each other to get up and, and, and actually act like the Messiah because we've got something to share. Now, we read when we stood up uh, uh, the, King, the New King James Version. Do you mind putting the texts up on the screen? Because if anybody was, was actually following in a, in a different version, you wouldn't have these verses. So the King James, the New King James, and the New American Standard have these verses, 55 and 56. But if you were reading anything else, then those sentences aren't there. And um, why is that? Because you see, in it, in, if, if I pick up an NIV, which is this one, and the reason we read this one on Sundays is not because it's the best version on the planet, it's just easy to read. Many people who listen uh, online, English is not their first language. So we try and read an easy version. But this wouldn't have those. It would just say, the disciples say, let us call down fire. It'll say, Jesus turned and rebuked them. And they went back. And then it says, and then they went to another village. It doesn't have the, the words of Jesus in red. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that this is not a Bible? That the only thing we should be reading is the vaunted King James in its original English? There are variant manuscripts. Whenever we pull out Bible from the ground, they're not all exactly the same. And so people group them into texts. Some parts of John uh, have chapter 8. Some manuscripts of John don't. Some parts of Mark have the end. Some don't. Does that mean it's not Mark? Does that mean we should throw our Bible away? No. How come the King James and the New American have these verses? It's because there was a manuscript, manuscripts, Gospels of Luke, that had this. And every single Latin version copied that, that stream. And other Greek manuscripts didn't. Actually, all Syriacs as well. So anyone part of the Syriac uh, Orthodox Church, their Bible looks like this as well. And, uh, and the reason why the King James has it is because King James used Latin as part of his uh, translation. Okay? So they preserved the rebuke. What we shouldn't get worried about is, oh my gosh, which version is the right version? Because brothers and sisters, your faith's not in your Bible. What's your faith in? The risen Jesus. And there's not one version on the planet that doesn't proclaim that. And whether they take away all of your Bibles and one day they might do that. Are you still able to proclaim and, and, and the risen Messiah? I would hope so. Yes, the disciples didn't have a New Testament, and they proclaimed the risen Messiah. It took hundreds of years till we finally got ourselves a New Testament. And even today, the New Testament we're reading is Byzantine texts, which are the late ones. The early manuscripts are called Alexandrian texts, and they're the ones being used by the Syriacs and uh, the Egyptians and Ethiopians. Our brothers and sisters of the faith have a slightly different variant, but they all love the Messiah. He is alive, and that is good news.
So I shouldn't worry. But I wanted to definitely read the rebuke this time from the King James, because it's the rebuke that's important. These, these um, rather indignant disciples, they say, Lord, let's, let's smite them. And Jesus rebukes them by saying, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. And that challenges for us today. What manner of spirit are we? Because what's going to happen to these Samaritans later on? If you read the book of Acts, chapter 8, what happens? The disciples show up, and this time they pray, and the Holy Spirit falls down upon them. Not fire. What a contrast. And that's the contrast of the two spirits. Do you want to lay waste to your enemies and just get them done? Or do you want them to join you in the kingdom of heaven? Love your enemies. That doesn't mean they're not your enemies. But you can love them. Could you imagine if you got to the book of Acts and we'd already smote the uh, Samaritans? We need to go down and uh, give them the Holy Spirit. And oh my gosh, this place is a mess. Oops. Anyone know why these villages are smoldering and burning? uh, Sorry. We made a boo-boo back there in Luke. (laughs) Whoops. Yeah, would have been a slightly different. So that's the contrast. So what manner of spirit are you and I? And so the, uh, the gospel, the lectionary paired with us Galatians 5. And we often always reflect on the fruit of the spirit. That's the type of spirit we should have. We should have self-control. So instead of getting angry initially, we should close our mouths and wait and be patient. Be patient until Acts 8, not, in, not destroy them in Luke 9. But uh, Paul gives us twice as many bad fruits of the Spirit as good ones. There are, there are 21 uh, bad things and, and nine good ones. Evil often always seems to outdo the good. Always seems so big and strong and powerful. It can't seem to always do so much, but it always falls. It eventually goes. Even only one little candle will fight back darkness. You just need that little bit of the right spirit, and the kingdom of heaven grows. And you can't stop it. And that's very good news. So, what type of manner of Disciple are we. Luke then, in this context, ponders different types of disciples. Some say that they will follow, and some are challenged to follow. And the first one, I'll follow you. I mean, you're hot to trot. You've got the, a really good healing ministry. You've got some great preaching. I haven't seen a demon anywhere near you for a very long time now. And Jesus says, well, I don't have anywhere to lay my head because the Samaritans won't even give me a room. Okay? Following Jesus isn't all peaches and cream. It's not all fun and games. It might hurt. And for most of the Christian family around the world through history, it has. 
That doesn't mean the Lord's not going to bring blessing. He does. But if your expectation is, I'll come to Jesus and everything will be fine, that might not be true. It means our spirit is a little bit off-center. Perhaps we need a bit more patience, a bit more self-control, a bit more kindness and gentleness. It's not all peaches and cream. Because Jesus says, even the Son of Man hasn't got a place to lay his head. And who's this Son of Man? Well, in Hebrew, Ben Adam literally means human, yes. And uh, sometimes in other variants, uh, like the book of Enoch, it's, it's Enoch, or it's Elijah, or it's somebody else. But in the book of Daniel, the Son of Man is powerful. He's eschatological. He's worshipped by the entire world. And he has a kingdom and a dominion that doesn't end. And yet this incredibly powerful figure hasn't got somewhere to spend the night. You want to follow that one? I hope so. We'll do it together. And then Jesus challenges somebody else. You, you, you follow me. And the response, well, I need to go back and bury dad. Well, if dad was actually dead, what would you be doing? You would be sitting Shiva or burying dad. You wouldn't be here. So most likely, dad's not quite dead yet. He might be doing quite well. The point is, the world can give us all kinds of distractions, can it not? And we can get incredibly concerned about the looming financial crisis, the potential that there might be more pandemics, Wars just around the corner. It's already on our doorstep. Wars, wars, and rumors of wars. We can become so panicked and so fearful that we retreat within ourselves. You know, more than the preppers. We won't leave our house. It's a bit sad. Brothers and sisters, we do need to prepare, of course. But when it does get dark, That dark world is going to need our light. And so we have to make sure that we're busy with the business of the king. That we are walking out the spirit. What is walking out the spirit? Well, in Hebrew, if you were thinking Hebrew, if you were a, a Jewish disciple of Jesus and you heard the word walk, you heard halacha. You heard a physical action. You weren't sitting under a tree waiting for the rapture. You were busy with the business of the king. You were bringing faith where there was doubt. You were crying with those who cried. You were healing those that needed to be healed. You were challenging the demons wherever you found them. You were opening up the scriptures and saying, this is actually what God's like. This is the heart of God. This is what he, he, he wants us to to do and how he wants his kingdom to look like when people are in it, in the kingdom of heaven. Don't delay. Don't put that off. When uh, a famous rabbi, Kiva, was asked, when should we repent? His famous reply was, well, one day before you die. Well, when's that? (laughs) Or as Psalm 95 says, Today, 
If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Make it soft. Make it malleable. Let him ply it so that your heart turns and looks like his. And he'll give us the Holy Spirit. And we'll walk out our lives with the fruit of the Spirit. We have to be wholehearted. It's all in. Love the Lord your God, as we said in the Shema. Love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, all of your might. What does all of your might mean? It's another very good question. Uh, or strength, as some people sometimes tra- translate the word meodecha. Um, does that mean I get to hit people? <laughs> like John the Baptist, uh, not John the Baptist, John and James again, call down fire, put on a crusader's outfit and march off and save Jerusalem. An Aramaic translation, a couple hundred years prior to Jesus, translated that verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your property. That was what was what kept was your strength on this planet. Love the Lord your God with your house. Open it up to the stranger. Love the Lord your God with your car. Drive people around, pick people up, take people where they need to go. Love the Lord your God with your food. Invite people to cook an extra portion and make sure somebody else gets to eat it. Share everything. First with the household of faith. Make them jealous. When Moses had the people of Israel sitting on the plains uh, of, of Moab and they're about to go in and take the Holy Land, he said, no other nation has a Torah like you. No other nation has such wisdom from heaven where you've been told to love your enemies, love your neighbor, do this, set the slaves free. This is how you do your judiciary. This is how you plant your crops. This is, this is wisdom from heaven, and it'll be attractive. And we need to make sure that the world sees that within us, because when they're fearful, they need to see our peace and our calmness and our love. When they're full of hatred, they really need to see our love. And when they're in doubt, they need to see our hope. Or as Peter likes to say, be prepared at all times to give a reason for the hope that you have. Why do you hope that things will get better? Because it will. Because eventually the Redeemer comes and lives amongst his people again and again. And in the context of these three disciples that we see in, uh, in Luke, the ones that want to go back and, and bury dad, ones that don't have places to, to, to sleep, uh, Jesus sends out right after this passage in Luke 9 comes 10, and he sends out 72. 72 disciples, two by two. Out you go. I've got a great message with you, and I will give you my spirit. But where will he send us? And so I I liked the uh, way that the lectionary paired the reading from Elijah, because Elijah is going to do the handover to Elisha. And these two prophets are very interesting prophets because they don't write books. There's no rich read the book of Elijah chapter 6. And uh, we always say, these are the greatest of prophets. They didn't write anything. They are non-literary. But they are the only two prophets that have the Holy Spirit. They have the Spirit of God. Everybody else gets a vision, gets a chazon, gets some sort of thing that they see. 
a word of the Lord, which is not the same thing as the spirit of the Lord. And uh, when Jesus in Luke 4 is describing himself, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, he uses in his explanation, like Elijah and Elisha, the two other spirits who have, the two other prophets who have the spirit of God. And so Elijah knows his time is up too. And he turns to Elisha and he says, Elisha, you stay here. No, 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 I'm coming with you. You stay here. I'm going to Bethel, Beit El. What should have been the next sentence is, why the heck do you want to go there? What's at Beit El? Anyone know? There's a pagan altar there built by Jeroboam. Why do you want to go there for? Why don't you go to Tel Aviv? <laughs> it's much nicer. You know, why don't you go to Naharia? Go to, go to the, the territory of Asher, okay? which means joy, beautiful place, nice beaches. And, but when they get to Beit El, it says that a school of prophets was there. What is a school of prophets doing in this horrible place? Then Elijah says to Elisha, Elisha, hey, you stay here. I'm going to Jericho. Now I'll come with you. Why would you want to go to Jericho for? Don't say the dates. Jericho was a city that God said, don't you rebuild it. After we've crashed it down, this is a horrible place. Don't rebuild it. Another dark place on the planet. When they get there, a school of prophets. What is a school of prophets doing in this evil city? which God said, don't rebuild. Let's go across the Jordan to the plains of Moab and Edom to our enemies, a bunch of pagans. Why would you want to go there? And sitting on the other side of the bank, looking at them, school of prophets. Where does God send these heroes? He doesn't send them to the beach. Not saying that Hawaiian beach ministry is off limits or anything like that. I would love to be called to a Hawaiian beach ministry. <laughs> this hasn't happened. God sends his heroes into very dark places because they're the ones that need the light. So let's not rain down fire on our enemies. It's a pagan world out there. Of course they're going to act that way. What they need is the gospel. They need the truth Loving them doesn't mean being silent. It certainly doesn't mean saying it's okay what you're doing. That is not true love. So we share the truth in gentleness, in kindness. But with power, we do it not alone. We do it together. We do it with a history of people who have shared the gospel, a cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. Brothers and sisters, what manner of spirit are you? Ponder that, because when we leave these doors, when our worship and service in this church is finished, then our service and worship begins out there. And we need to take that light. To them. So I want to finish with the words of another prophet, Hosea, the very last sentence of his vision, where he says, Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. 
The ways of the Lord are right. And the righteous, they walk in them. And we will with the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.